here we are. We're back for part two of 10 facts about about South. We covered the first five facts in our previous episode. So if you didn't hear the first five facts and you want to know things like who we are and why we started this and, you know, where we went and how we pay for this and how you can give us money, you can go back and listen to the first episode. We could also include some stuff about how to give us money in this one, too. Yeah, we could return to that. <laughs> um, okay, so question one. Who wants to uh, read and reveal this About South mystery? I sometimes hear a dog in the background. Who is that? Well, we've had many dogs on About South. Today's dog is Willow. She's a foster from the Great Pyrenees rescue of Atlanta. There has also been Karen Cox's dog, Phoebe, in the Goat Castle episode, who has a very jangly collar, but I really, I didn't mind it. I stressed about it while we were recording, but then I've kind of just decided, like, whatever, dogs, dogs are going to dog. Mm-hmm. It added some dimension to the episode. Yeah, sounds like a person. Yeah. We Living have- their life. Who else has been on? What other dog? Great dogs of About South. I think one, as you were talking, I realized that we should have a calendar that is the dogs of About South with photos of all of the dogs because we also have Joey Kennedy's pugs. Ooh, there were the lots whole grumbles, of grumbles. All the grumbles of pugs that also stood in as William Faulkner's ghost. They performed admirably in that task. They were very good at that. Yeah, so we've had Pugs, we've had Pyrenees, we had Phoebe. There been any other dogs on about South? You can hear June sometimes when we're on the phone together. That's true. My dog. Yeah. Um, there have been many Pyrenees. Willow, Molly, and... Cleo. Um, it is not easy to record a podcast with a dog in the house. There are easier things to do. Dogs are terrible at podcasts. Next question. How can I be a guest on About South? Well... You have to have some good content. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The first thing you do is go to our website, aboutsouthpodcast.com. We um, do all of our interviews in person. So the first thing is we need to be able to figure out a time when we can be in the same place. Um, That does not mean you have to come to Atlanta. I have recorded people all over the place um from baltimore to baton rouge we will travel if we can um or i travel for work a lot so if we're going to be in the same city if we're going to be in new york we've recorded episodes in worcester massachusetts they do not have to be recorded in the south um you recorded in minneapolis minneapolis um but we kind of need I think one thing maybe people want to know is we do have a recording schedule. 
we tend to set the schedule for the season sometime between April and June. And then the season runs from the first weekend in July, the first Friday in July, until usually the first Friday in December. So you want to kind of contact us between January and April because then we kind of sit down with everything between April and June, look at where we are, and set our recording schedule. So if you have a project or a book or you're working on something or a gallery show or something that you just really think would be a great episode, um, contact us between January and April through the contact on the website. Um, that's how several of our episodes have happened. If you have something, you know, contact us anytime, but an email that we get in December, we're probably not going to be able to get to that again. There's no way until the next July. We tend to be finished recording um, usually at the latest early November. We're usually working about a month out. So about southpodcast.com, fill out the contact form. Well, and I think it's important to know that we are, we're trying to speak to an audience that, we're trying to speak to an audience that isn't um, necessarily like all people from academic backgrounds. So if you describe your project, we can get to know a little bit more about how you will adapt, you know, if you're doing a lot of research, how you're going to adapt that to a more general audience. Um, so that helps us kind of see the way that we can narrate the podcast too. Yeah, general audience. We are trying to talk to a general audience. That's the main thing. Hello, general audience members. Who want to visit our Patreon <laughs> and buy a calendar, Dogs of About South. I'm going to have so much fun putting this together. <laughs> I'm really excited. Question three. What's been your favorite episode to work on? Obviously, my personal favorite was the Golden Girls episode. Very few things top the opportunity to talk about Golden Girls in a legitimate way. Um, second to that would be the Margaret Mitchell episode. Just because there was so much information and it was like a great treasure hunt. And I won't ruin the ending for anybody who hasn't listened because they're going to pause it right now and go back and listen and then come back. But it was just really cool to investigate a literary icon for something other than just like that one thing they're known for or was this person like an allegory for this person and were they talking about themselves we kind of did all of that and none of it at the same time so that was really cool andy yeah hey is it gina it is how are you i'm good how are you doing i'm good okay so we've been working on this potential episode this season and I wanted to kind of get your knowledge and perspective on the existence of this thing that we've heard about as well as the ethics of exploring this question that we've heard about about Margaret Mitchell okay um so do you know anything about Margaret Mitchell's extensive porn collection Lindsay um 
liked um i wrote the copy for the small group small screen south's episode and i you know when you're writing the copy you have to listen to it a lot and that was kind of the one that i really liked listening to i think because i mean everyone kind of likes talking about television so I don't know, I think that was it for me, and just remembering, like, these shows, like, True Blood that I hadn't seen in, in a while, and looking at them in a new context, I think that was fun. Aside, of course, from being able to binge-watch Netflix, Hulu, and HBO Go as research, which was in- enjoyable for me, I think, for me, getting into this collection was a lot about grappling with some of the stuff that we see in media today. I mean, obviously the very fraught political climate that we're in right now. I mean, looking at the way that this region in particular with this long history of not only being a site of institutional racism um, and uh, regressive politics, but also being sort of a container for the nation's experience of those oppressive logics as sort of like receiving all of the nation's um, crap, right? Uh, and I think that that, is pervasive in this golden age of television right now. And I think to not to leave it uninterrogated is a missed opportunity to intervene in the current political crisis. And it's also um, a missed opportunity to uh, engage with what both television studies can do for us in a political way and also what Southern studies can do. So I just was incredibly relevant, not only because of this gap in, in um, scholarship and not only, and of course, because of um, the way that our students and American culture is consuming, uh, are consuming these narratives, but also because I think this work, especially some of the fantastic contributions that we have in it, um, intervene in really important and timely ways in our current crisis. I wish I had a list of the episodes in front of me, because I can't remember them all. We have a lot of content. Yeah, there are 32 episodes. I really liked listening to... The episode with Eric Gary Anderson, the Halloween episode, Ooh. that was a really good one. I liked the Small Screen South because I got to record the intro. I liked the Small Screen <laughs> South because you got to record the intro. But I think there were some very funny moments in your interview with, um, with Eric Anderson. I that was a good episode. Welcome, Eric. Oh, thank you, Gina. We. Now, one thing to know, originally, Eric and I um, had attempted to record this podcast on William Faulkner's grave. (laughs) Like, literally, we went to the graveyard. We're here in Oxford, Mississippi together. We set up shop. We were battling storms, but we thought we had a clearing. We got to the grave, and Eric, um, from your perspective, what happened next? (laughs) Well, basically, the wrathful undead spirit of William Faulkner stopped us in our tracks. And your interview with Michael was really good. Oh, about the B-52s. I re-listened to that one the other day because I had forgotten there was something I wanted to hear him say again about literalism. Mm -hmm. And so I was listening to it in the car and I was like, God, I love this episode. Yeah. Um, You guys had such a witty back and forth that really, like created a nice narrative arc for the whole episode. Also, the music in that one's so good, because mm-hmm. it's all this B-52s music, and I'd forgotten about the Barbie doll fringe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked that one. 
Um, the most famous example is the one that gives everybody so much trouble, which is out of Love Shack, when she sings Tin Roof Rusted. And all the interviews are about what does that mean, and, the, and all they can ever tell you is how it wound up in the song as a lyric, but it doesn't have any meaning except Tin Roof Rusted. But we want it to mean more than it means, and then it doesn't, which is kind of camp in a different way. Yeah, it's just words. Right, it's just words, and they mean, right. And, it, and they're words that are deployed in a way that shuts down other meanings. Right, because, okay, so, so I'm heading down the Atlanta little. Highway, right. looking for a love getaway. Right. And then it's the bang bang on the door part. Right. And then she says, ten roof rusted. He goes, he goes you're what? Ten oh. roof rusted. And then the music starts up again, right? It's this moment with no music behind it. Right, so as if it must have heavy meaning. Right. Everything else about the soundscape there is suggesting, like, this is the most important right. reveal in the song. Yeah. It and actually means nothing. It just means the tin roof is rusted, or has rusted. I'm not sure which, right? Yeah. <laughs> Both. It's a condition and an action. Right. <laughs> but it does not mean anything else, but it feels like it should. season one episodes yeah from last season i really liked the episode with carolyn ware on cajun mardi gras oh i learned a lot about that i knew nothing about that going into it i actually brought that up with someone i don't remember who how or why but they were talking about being from louisiana and i was like have you heard of cajun mardi gras that actually may not have been how it went at all but (laughs) the important thing is I got to talk about Cajun Mardi Gras with somebody and be like, hey, I know a lot about this. And it informed them a little bit about this thing I had never heard of. And they seemed interested, so that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We should also mention that Carolyn gave us tiny little Mardi Gras dolls. Yeah, I have it in my office. From her private collection. It was awesome. She's cool. Yeah. I also liked her, like, I really like the juxtaposition of her like she speaks very softly and seems very like proper but she's talking about all of this ridiculous stuff and that whole episode I really liked that she was like oh yes and then we climbed the tree and somebody had to spank me out of the tree just like yeah, the matter was, of fact like, delivery excuse me <laughs> <laughs> she was like and then they whip you on the butt and I was like well <laughs> I'm kind of zoned out for a minute I could have sworn you just said Someone whipped you on the butt. I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, or the it's it's uh, Mardi Gras day really really isn't a good day for chickens. <laughs> that oh, yeah. comment was really great. Every time I listen to that episode, that gets me. And so the women were swigging it down, and my first impression was my feet are wet and cold. I'm not having a very good time here. I don't really know what to do. Um, and I was watching all these women clown around. So finally, my friend Suzanne got me to drink some of her peach schnapps. 
and I got a little tiddly. And the first thing I knew, I was perched in a tree and the captains were trying to get me down. And of course they were being very gentle with me because I was the outsider. And one of them snuck around and whipped me in the butt, you know, when I was looking at the other way and I got down from the tree and I felt, yes, I'm a Mardi Gras. But that was kind of the, the height of my Mardi Gras career. The tree, um, literally. The so tree. it was like about 10 exactly. feet, the height. Yeah, not <laughs> even that. <laughs> Maybe five feet was the height. Yeah. And the funny thing, I, I'm trying to think what, going back and thinking about it, I still am really charmed by the Pasaquan episode, just because I still think Pasaquan is such a weird, weird place, and I still don't know what it means, and that's the one I think that kind of sticks out for me in a lot of ways. There are stories of him going into Buena Vista to buy his supplies, and I'll tell you this great myth. He drove a, he drove a station wagon, and there are stories that people tell me he had all these cats, and the cats would be in the car, and he'd get out of the station wagon in, in the town square right in front of the um, hardware store there. All the cats would jump out of the car, run around town. He'd go into the, into the hardware store. People said he'd jingle and stuff buy his supplies and they'd do this, this is a myth now, he'd, he'd make this call in front of the station wagon and all the cats would jump into the car and he'd drive away. And I, I swear I've heard this story from locals, three different different locals and, and different versions of this story. You know, and so, yeah, I can imagine that, um, you know, he was really, you know, they, they talk about the eccentric people in towns in the south he was a he was a genius eccentric from from the south he was one of a kind to say the least well and another one of my favorites is the interview that you did with um monique Verdun. oh my god monique Verdun is i'm a huge fan of hers and that one was a hard one for me because i just was like fangirl outing fangirl outing is that the right yeah fangirling out fangirling out and I see, I get nervous just thinking about it because I was like, oh my God, I love her work so much. And we were sitting there and like, I just was like, you're real. And I've watched your documentary so many times. And then Kelly like was watching me be nervous. You're like, I've never really seen you that nervous. And I was like, I know, I'm so excited. And yeah, I, you know, I always say that I love Louisiana because we kind of, um, we like live with our trash, you know, and I, when I first started traveling when I was young and I was like, oh, I went to Atlanta and thought it was like the cleanest place ever, which is funny to think about now. Well, and like, I live in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like a few months ago, there was like a dead goat on the sidewalk in my neighborhood. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, it's super clean until people put their goats out. It's <laughs> great. Um, yeah, but you know, it's like we're living in it. We're like surrounded by it. You can't, ignore that there's this like major refinery that's spewing stuff as you drive by it you know and you smell it and you're like okay I like I, this is it like this is where it comes from you know and I also like the one when we drove to the end of the world yeah because I also knew nothing about that and that's that's my favorite way to live is just to throw myself into situations where I have no idea what's going on I liked that episode because by the end of it you were convinced that you were gonna live there I'm still convinced I'm gonna live there <laughs> I've been thinking about it I mean, the sun's out. Yeah, I feel much more in 
inspired by my trip to the end of the world than I thought I would come in here. Yeah, I mean, I'm inspired. It ha I mean, it is so beautiful, except there's giant oil tankers next to us. sad if I never come here again for the rest of my life. Yeah. I don't want this to be the only time that I see this place. I'll also be sad if this place disappears in my lifetime. Oh, yeah. Well, it's... But I'm looking up at two levees that don't really seem we pulled over and climbed the levee on either side, I don't feel like the water is that far. What's really sobering is to think, you know, it would be really sad if this disappeared in your lifetime. But how much of it is already gone? Okay, question four. I will ask this one because everyone at this table has like a different reaction to this animal than I do. <laughs> Is the crayfish real? I'm super confused why no one thinks it's real. Everyone asks me this and assuming it's real, is it still alive? I'll let y'all take this one. It's very real and also alive. Right now. It's literally right next to us. It's on the table. Oh my god. It's not on the table. <laughs> that would be a bad place for us. But it to uh, be. you would be able to hear Lindsay, myself, and Kelly scatter if it were on the table. You think it's terrifying? I do think it's terrifying. And I'm assuming everyone but the person who agreed to keep it in their house thinks it's terrifying too. I don't think it's terrifying. I don't think it's terrifying. <laughs> per se. <laughs> I just don't know that I would keep one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The crayfish stays safely in an aquarium tank. You situation. know, sometimes she tries to get out because they're real adventurers. Like right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes I hear like messing with stuff and I'm like, why are you trying to climb into the filter? Why? I, like, she just gets bored. Yeah. Is she allowed to have a friend? She has one fish she keeps. She She's eaten every other fish that's been in that tank, except that one's been in the tank with her now for, like, two years. It's her pet. Yeah. Or friend. They're companions. Hmm. It's odd. The other fish, though? Yeah. She did get tangled up in a string that had gotten in the aquarium um, about a year ago. And I noticed that she was struggling with something. And I was like, what are you doing? Cause like sometimes she's just weird cause she's crayfish. And so I went and I like went to untangle her and I had, I was scared cause I had to like reach in and pick her up and she's got those giant claws. And so 
And, you know, when you walk up to the tank, like, she threatens you with them. Like, she's always, like, throwing her claws up. <laughs> like, she's ready to fight. Like, she's like, yeah, I will chop you in the throat. And so I um, had to untangle her. And she, as soon as she realized that, like, I was helping her, she kind of, like, relaxed and let me, like, unwind the string from her body. Mm. And then she got loose. And then she was like, I'll kill you next time. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, she's real. She's alive. She's still blue. Regardless of the light conditions or what I feed her, she stays blue. We're all pretty invested in the health of this crayfish. Everyone I've seen who has listened to the podcast, without fail, they ask about the health or existence of the blue crayfish. But we texted about it the other day, too. She wasn't feeling well. She wasn't. She was acting really weird, but she's feeling better. I don't know what was going on with her. I thought she was dying, but she wasn't. Can we also talk about when you first got the crayfish and she, like, molted and lost her claws? Yes. She molted, and as a young, inexperienced molter, she accidentally dropped her claws, so she was just like a giant shrimp for, like, a a little bit. Waving around her little... She was trying to wave her little mini claws... And it was not very threatening. But she thought she was trying. So did she grow new claws? Yeah, that's how they work. Then they molt again. <laughs> you are so <laughs> horrified. So gross. Do you eat crayfish? No. Huh. I don't eat crayfish either. Oh, I eat them. The whole thing of, like, I can't even. Like, just ripping them in half yeah, and like, tearing out really their gross. flesh. Yeah. I can barely eat shrimp with the head on. Like, I have to discard the head and not look anywhere near it. Anything that's And then still pretend attacked. that it's a regular shrimp that has been, like, peeled and cleaned. But you know, like, a regular shrimp is an animal with a head. I have yeah, bad news for you. But it everything you eat, Everything you eat once had a head. <laughs> but I don't look at it and I don't engage with its... Um, <laughs> you don't make eye contact. Yeah. You know, Southern Living, um, the other day, published this terrible list. Like, ten things that Southerners never order in restaurants or something. And it's every reason why we started this podcast, this list. Um, And one of them was like, we don't eat food that can look back at us. And I was like... Is that a Southern thing, or is that just a general human need not to look at into the eyes of what you're going to eat. Yeah. That's what right. I was like, really? Like, in New England, they're like, I'd like my hamburger with the head on, please. <laughs> <laughs> There's that great joke that is like, ask if it had a friend. Oh, yeah, like the episode of Portlandia, when they're like, what conditions did this chicken grow up in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, there was, I think it was like a Jim Gaffigan part, too. Where he's like, ask if it had a friend. If you see a tear coming out, just pretend it's butter. <laughs> Mm. Okay. I, I oh, mean, you have more crayfish no. feelings? Yeah, because in Louisiana, one, people eat, like, crayfish all the time. I'm also just realizing that by crayfish, we were also talking about crawfish slash crawdad situations. Yes, it's all the same animal. This is part of my not being a southerner thing, that mm-hmm. only now am I putting together that this is, like, that the thing in your tank, someone 
could come in here and be like, why are you keeping this? We're going to have it on Saturday with lunch. With a thousand of its friends. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you would. it would be really expensive if someone wanted to eat exclusively. See, okay, this is something else we learned during the episode. I don't think it made the cut. Crayfish is the more when it's like living animal term, like cow versus beef. And crawfish is when you're eating it. Okay. So there's a reason why we, we you all, not me. <laughs> you all? Other sellers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Why those names and terms are used interchangeably yeah and i also think it's regional like yeah we had crawdads like my grandpa talked about crawdads we said crawdads growing up but But we ate crawfish but if you look if you want a textbook about the animal you have to look up crayfish and crayfishes Hmm. I wonder why they would make them such similar words, crayfish, crawfish. I wonder if it's accent. Like maybe oh, scientifically yeah. they're called crayfish, but then there's some sort of just regional accent on it. I don't know. I have a lot of ideas, but it's all speculation. I like that we've all come back to crayfish speculation in this show. This is really just an extended <laughs> meditation on the nature of crayfish. Somebody came to me the other day with a with a crayfish head and told me to suck it. Why? Because I didn't like I didn't want to eat the crayfish. And they were like, here, it's just a crayfish. Just like suck on this thing. And I was like, no. I eat crayfish, but I don't suck the head because I don't need to eat an animal's brains. Yeah. But the <laughs> fact that we have an animal where it's like Oh, it's cool. You just like rip his head off and then eat its body, and then eating the innards of the head is optional. That's super weird to me. But I think, like, again, though. The tail meat's so good, though. I've never had crayfish. Crawfish. Crawdads. What? The boils look delicious, but I will just have, like, potatoes. All right, Grover. Yeah. (laughs) You're about to be served. Yeah, it's time. (laughs) God, that'd be terrible. The Southern Living thing, it's bullshit because, like... For many reasons. Right. Because people eat thousands of crayfish. Yes, in the South. Literally. In the Deep South. That's a... That's a thing. And I don't... Like, it's so inextricably tied to my idea of what Pig roast? Where you have the pig on a spit? Yes. And, like, you can see exactly where its eyeballs were removed from its head. Is that not a southern thing? In Louisiana, they have boucheries, which are big, big pig roasts. That I think are, are Cajun traditions. Yeah, there are lots of places in the south where people roast whole pigs. It's, it's Southern living is bullshit. We know that. Garbage. Scott Crayfish Romine. Living. Yeah, Scott Romine talks about that, right? That they're like traditional southern centerpiece involves styrofoam. And he's like, well, how traditional can that be? Styrofoam was invented in the 1950s. <laughs> so, you know. There's also that episode, or episode, the cover of Southern Living a few years ago that it said, A Southerner's Guide to White Paint. And I was like, oh God, the jokes just write themselves right here. <laughs> <laughs> um... 
I do like the mini, uh, the mini t-shirt ideas that we have based on terrible publications about the South. The bitter crayfisher. <laughs> the bitter crayfish. Crayfish living. <laughs> Garden and crayfish. Oh, <laughs> dog and crayfish. Aww. That's what this show's powered with. Crayfish and gun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to five more facts about About South. The next two weeks, we'll be sharing with you some of our favorite podcasts. We'll also be posting the links to our Support Us accounts because we are indeed on a shoestring budget. And if you have any old shoestrings that you can lend us, we would really appreciate it. Details on our website and our social media accounts. About South is brought to you from the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. Kelly Vines and Adua Danso are my co-producers. Lindsay Baker is our marketing director. Our music is by Brian Horton. You can find his music at brianhorton.com. And you can find us at aboutsouthpodcast.com. We'd also like to thank all of the dogs who have made this podcast possible. Willow. Do you have anything to add? Willow is ready to go for a walk. Until then, pet your dogs, love your cats, and don't eat your crayfish. Unless you want to, of course. If you tell us a little bit about what your project is, then we can also see how you are talking to... Sorry. Should I just start that again? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is dog. Sorry. Who is that? <laughs> she just dropped it on the floor. Sorry. Got you this pizza. Just wanted to be on the air. Okay. I'll just leave my hand here. <laughs> <laughs>